we have an opportunity to praise a good God who it is good for us to thank. Some of you are probably wondering at this point, all right, who is this guy? Mm -hmm. Who is this guy? All right, well, I am from RCBC, which is sort of your baby. WSBC uh, and RCBC were once one group, and now we're, we're two. So it's rather appropriate, don't you think, that they've sent you a young person like myself, <laughs> born out of a young church that came from y'all. So it's a privilege and a pleasure to, to be here this morning with all of you, wherever you are throughout the city. Um, I've entitled this message today, Sing Thanks to the Lord. And I hope you'll see why as we read the text. Today we're going to read a passage about God. Shocker. The Lord. The I Am. And our text comes from the book of Psalms. Now, Psalms is a very interesting book because of the way in which it was written. Many people wrote different pieces of the book, and then it was edited together, and it was a long time before it was completed. The Israelites' entry into the Promised Land, David's dynasty, and the exile all likely took place during the time when the Psalms were written. That's a long time. And the first group of people who are likely to have possessed the entire book would have been people who saw most of the Old Testament. They could look back on Israel's failure with the golden calf, power under Solomon. <laughs> they could see what an amazing journey they had been on. And now we, right here this morning, are part of that story. All right, cool. Now, we're, we're part of that story, too, this enormous Old Testament story. And we can look back on Jesus' arrival in Bethlehem, his victory on Golgotha, all the apostles' adventures and writings, the story of God's people up into our day has been filled with good times and it's been filled with bad times. And throughout all these ups and downs, one has to ask, what kind of God do we serve? Is he good? Well, Lord willing, we're going to receive an answer today in three parts. Part number one. Number one, it is good to give thanks to God, for he is praiseworthy. Number two, he's praiseworthy because he is eternal and the wicked die quickly. He's praiseworthy because he is eternal and the wicked die quickly. Number three, the Lord is righteous and his people endure. Number three, the Lord is righteous and his people endure. Let's see, let's take a closer look. Let's read this entire passage and understand it as one piece. Psalm 92. I'll give you a moment if you'd like to turn there if you have your Bibles with you. Psalm 92. A psalm. A song for the Sabbath. Verse one. It is good 
to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night, to the music of the lute and the harp, to the melody of the lyre. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands I sing for joy. How great are your works, O Lord! Your thoughts are very deep. The stupid man cannot know. The fool cannot understand this, that though the wicked sprout like grass and all evildoers flourish, they are doomed to destruction forever. But you, O Lord, are on high forever. For behold, your enemies, O Lord, for behold, your enemies shall perish. All evildoers shall be scattered. But you have exalted my horn like that of the wild ox. You have poured over me fresh oil. My eyes have seen the downfall of my enemies. My ears have heard the doom of my evil assailants. The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to praise you this morning, to sing to you, to consider your goodness, and then to reply back with our gratefulness. Thank you again. In Jesus' name, amen. Now let's read this passage again slowly. Let's think about the meaning, and let's consider how our emotions are responding and examine how our desires are shaped by this passage. Our first point is that it is good to give thanks to the Lord, for he is praiseworthy. Firstly, we notice that this psalm has a title at the beginning. The title is a psalm, a song for the Sabbath day. Now, a psalm with a P at the front is a song with an S. Psalm 92 is in a book of psalms. And so that's how I know that God intended the ancient Israelites to worship him through poetry. This psalm, with a P, is for the Sabbath day. The Sabbath day was the seventh day of the week. It was Saturday when the Israelites rested from work. So we know that rest, because God set a day of rest, is good for us. This is the same way that God also rested from creating the world. In Mark chapter 2, verse 27, Jesus said, The Sabbath was made for man. And so we know that rest is good. Colossians chapter 2, verse 16 says, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. So, while the Bible does not force us to rest on the Sabbath, he has blessed us by showing us that a day of rest, and frankly, rest in general, are good. And since Psalm 92 is for the Sabbath, we know that when we rest, there are psalms for that. That means there are songs for rest, which means it's good while we rest to sing. So we have a song for the Sabbath day, a poem for when we are resting. And so I think it would be highly inappropriate for us to sit here 
and be stressed. So take a moment, breathe in, and try to take your mind off of the stresses of your week, whatever's bothering you. Let's relax. Let's take in this song, this poem together. Let's get ready to experience poetry, God's poetry. Here we go. Verse one, it says, it is good. Well, right off the bat, I'm reminded of Genesis, the day just before the first Sabbath, the sixth day, after creating and blessing mankind, Genesis 1.31 says, God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Just as God, before resting, considered the goodness of his magnificent new planet, with its powerful oceans, its strong lands, its young and diverse life, and its, his human image bearers reflecting his glory, now he invites the Israelites. And by extension, he invites us, before we rest, to consider something good. And since Jesus showed that rest is also good for us, it would be wise for us also to consider goodness when we rest. So what's the good thing that God is talking about? Well, we have to read on. We have to find out. Verse 1 says, It is good to give thanks to the Lord. So the good thing the poem speaks of is thanking the Lord. The Lord is God. In this psalm, God is also called the Most High. And it's rather funny. Whenever I first read through this passage, I saw the word Lord again and again and again. And I thought, well, I have found the main point of this passage. It's clearly about God's Lordship. And uh, so then I, uh, then I gave this message for the first time, and I received feedback that uh, the Lord here was in all caps. And that means that this is actually Yahweh, which means I am, which means that God isn't trying to remind us of his Lordship right now. He's trying to remind us of his Godhood, the fact that he is I am who I am, the independent one, the one who depends only on himself. You and I depend on all kinds of things, don't we? You wouldn't be who you are without your parents, without your boss, without your children. All kinds of people affect who you are and who I am. But God's not like that. And we're going to be reminded again and again, every time you hear that word Lord in this passage, that that's who we're talking about. Not so much a governor, though he is a governor of everything, but our God. Similarly, for example, with Jesus, Jesus was obedient to... So only, only God can say this is, this is the point. He's the I am for being his chosen people. So what can you thank God for? What is it good for us to be thanking God for as we consider this psalm? Well, Jesus was obedient to the Father by dying on the cross for our sins so that we could trust in his resurrection for forgiveness and reconciliation to God. And for this, Philippians 2.9 says about Jesus, Therefore God has ex highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So this song for rest is telling us that it is good to thank our God. And in verse one it says, to sing praise to your name, most high. Now, did you notice that this psalm is actually applying itself right now? It's telling us you should praise God. And this song, this psalm is a praise to God. And that is poetic, which is a compliment to God. 
who wrote this psalm, which means that I'm praising the Lord and obeying the verse again. And all of this makes God look good. We can and we should thank God by making him look good. But if you're like me, you sometimes struggle to praise the Lord in your private time. It's much easier to praise the Lord with others at a regular time and place on Sunday, Brian playing the guitar beautifully, isn't it? But the weekdays can be chaotic. It's Monday through Friday that's the trouble. Finding regular time for praise can be difficult. And so I encourage you, and I encourage myself, to identify another habit that you already have, that you regularly do, and attach your praise to that. For example, maybe you drive to work every day. Well, that's, since you do that every day, you can devote that time to praising the Lord. It doesn't have to be when you drive to work. For me, it's my lunch breaks. They happen all the time. And I like my food, so I'm not skipping lunch. So that hour is always ready for me. And so the back end of my lunchtime is always when I do my devotions. Now, maybe your routine is differently. Maybe your lunchtime frequently gets canceled. Maybe your routine on how you get to work frequently changes. The point is, find some regular rhythm in your life and hook your praise time onto that. And that'll help you. So this song of rest, which urges us to give thanks by singing and to declare God's faithful love in the morning and your faithfulness by night. God was faithful to Israel, wasn't he? If you've read the Bible, you know that despite all her evil in the book of Judges, all her rebellious leaders, all her crimes leading up to the Babylonian exile, God always took steps to purify and ultimately to redeem her. And through Christ, Israelites can be forgiven for their sin. Just like you and I who are saved by faith in our trustworthy God. After all, God is loving. Remember, he gave Adam and Eve clothes to cover their shame after they sinned. He spoke to the Israelites in psalms like this one. He sent his son to provide atonement for us. He gave us his spirit to help us understand this psalm. We could go on and on about God's love all day, and we should. After all, it is good. In verse 2, to declare God's faithful love in the morning and his faithfulness at night. How long should we praise the Lord? From morning until evening. And so while we have regularly scheduled time for praise, like I mentioned earlier, and that's good, we also need to cultivate a heart that is ready to praise God at all times. We should cultivate the kind of attitude that automatically responds to the happy moments in our lives by saying with our hearts and often with our lips, thank God. My friends, praise the Lord at any time for any joy, great or small. Seek to see every good thing that happens to you as what it is, a gift from God. So verse 3 says that we should do our singing and our declaring of God's faithfulness with Quote, a ten-stringed harp in the music of a lyre. Okay, now what is a harp and what is a lyre? They are stringed musical instruments. The harp, as far as I can tell, is larger than a lyre. Here's the point. On special occasions, you celebrate, don't you? On very special occasions, we celebrate with singing and instruments. God is utterly special. 
And his love for the Israelites took them from a couple called Abraham and Sarah who couldn't have children, and he made them into a nation. His love for the world is utterly special. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So this is why your baby church, RCBC, plays the guitar. And it's probably why Brian does too. It is a wonderful thing to learn a musical instrument. My friends, the kind of praise we give to God is not dead or flat or boring. Our praise should be enthusiastic and musical. Some of you may have heard that phrase, from morning till night. And you felt exhausted. But don't hear this as a burden. The psalmist says, Quote, for you have made me rejoice, Lord, by what you have done. I will shout for joy because of the works of your hand. So instead of imagining yourself frustratedly on a Monday morning, trying to find a way to detach yourself from your routine and think instead about spiritual things, imagine instead the Israelites emerging from the Red Sea emerging out of 400 years of slavery and watching the waters close behind them as they finally experience their freedom for the first time. How could they help but sing in Exodus 15? Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. Well, as for you and me, when we consider how God meets all of our needs according to the richness of his glory in Christ. It won't be hard for us to sing anymore. So don't work to praise God. Work to see his goodness in your life. And then praising will be easy. To feel energy for singing and praising God, don't look at yourself. Look at what God has done for you. Begin your praise sessions by thinking about God, not about yourself. Verse 5 expands this thought. How magnificent are your works, Lord. How profound your thoughts. Now some of you are thinking, why are we praising God for his works? Why praise God for what he has done? I mean, after all, shouldn't we praise him for who he is? Shouldn't we love him for his identity, not his gifts? Well, I hope this verse is helpful to you. Of course, of course, we should love God for his identity. But how do we know who he is? Well, we can know him by what he does. As soon as we see his magnificent works, we can begin to understand the glory of his thoughts. Because God's good thoughts are what create God's great actions. We can't read God's mind. We can't read anybody's mind. But... We can understand him through what he reveals, through his words and his deeds. And so it's not, it's not wrong to praise God for his works so that we can love his identity. So that was our first point. It is good to give thanks to the Lord for his praiseworthy. One third of the way done, folks. Part two. Now we're going to move into the second point. God is forever and the wicked die quickly. Now here the psalm is going to take, it's going to take a solemn turn in verse 6. Quote, a stupid person does not know. Now, it's difficult for me to phrase this in a way that will not make you laugh, but this is not a joke. 
There are stupid people. And it isn't funny. God is profound. He's wise. He's complicated. And this person is stupid. Romans 3, chapter 2, verse 4, 2 through 4 says, The Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. What if some were unfaithful? Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. So knowledge is a gift from God that the Israelites had. And what about us? Hebrews chapter 1 says, Long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. So we have even more information about God than the Israelites did. And so the issue here is not information. That's not the problem with the stupidity. So if the stupid people often have information, why does the Bible say that they don't know? All right, let's read on and let's find out. Verse 6. Quote, a fool does not understand this. Though the wicked sprout like grass and all evildoers flourish, they will be eternally destroyed. The stupid man is here called a fool. A fool is impressed by the wicked sprouting like grass. This means that the wicked look successful. If you're planted grass, plant a little grass, five seconds later you got a lot of grass. Whoa, so impressive. But it's not impressive, is it? It's just, it's just grass. Easy come, easy go. It's easily destroyed. And so it's stupid to look at grass and think, that's strong. Similarly, it's stupid to look at wicked people and think they're strong. They're not strong. The ancient Israelites could remember how Jericho looked strong, but God destroyed it. We can remember that Rome and the religious establishment looked strong when they put Jesus to death. But now Jesus is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. They weren't strong. What about us? Are we going to admire people cheating and getting away with it? Or will we instead, during our Sunday praise, our weekday habitual praise, and in our spontaneous praise, will we instead pity the wicked? Not call them strong. And pray for fools. Because we remember that success that comes through evil is like grass. It's gone in a second. God isn't like grass. God's not like grass at all. Verse 8. But you, Lord, are exalted forever. He is Lord. He's in control of everything. And people will praise God forever. Just like the writer of Psalm 92. And just like us, the readers of Psalm 92. Because Jesus rose from the dead. Wickedness wins, but it only wins for a little while. Give it time, it'll pass. Jesus is one forever and ever. For example, let's look at verse 9. For indeed, Lord, your enemies, indeed, your enemies will perish. All evildoers will be scattered. So our God, who is a Lord governing all things, he has enemies. In the Old Testament, many of these enemies were, were people like Pharaoh, Goliath, Babylon. But then Jesus came and he made it crystal clear that the enemies of the church, the, enemy, the real problem with this world are not, it's not people. It's spiritual warfare. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against authorities, against cosmic powers, 
over this present darkness against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We fight against evil angels. And we fight against ourselves too, don't we? As Paul says in Colossians 3, 5, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. The enemy is not out there. It's here. It's Adam Lentz. That's the enemy I fight. Which means that we should be so thankful that as Psalm 92, 9 says, your enemies will perish. All evildoers will be scattered. Here it may be helpful for you to remember that by the time the book of Psalms was completed, it was after the Israelites had been defeated by Babylon. 2 Kings chapter 25, verse 5 says, But the army of the Chaldeans pursued the king and overtook him on the plains of Jericho. And all his army was scattered from him. There's that word, scattered, again. The story of what happened to that king is so sad. The Babylonians killed his children in front of him and then they took his eyes. So it was the last thing he ever saw. And perhaps you found yourself scattered lately. Maybe you found yourself defeated by your own sin nature. No doubt sin has at times robbed your joy from you. Perhaps at times you, like that king, feel blind. But this passage told the Israelites, and it tells us that ultimately, it's all God's enemies, physical and spiritual, that will be the ones who are scattered at the end of our stories. So during your praise sessions, when you're working hard to get your emotions in the right place for singing and praying to God, take a long view. If you only focus on your current situation, you may find it hard to praise God. And if you look at your own soul for too long, you may find it very hard to praise God. But if you look instead at the glorious future that awaits us as Christians, your heart will begin to fly again. And you'll have no trouble enjoying God through prayer. Verse 10. You have lifted up my horn like that of a wild ox. An extremely easy phrase to understand in the year 2022. <laughs> well, here's, here's what it means. I looked it up online and some smart folks say that this is a reference to how when an oxen would fight against another oxen, when the fight is done, the victorious ox puts his horn up in the air. So the psalmist is saying, God made him victorious. Now, I don't know how. I don't know who wrote this psalm. I don't know when or how he won, but he did. And he recognized that his victory was from God. And similarly, all our victories are from God. As Romans chapter 9, verse 16 says, it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. And the psalmist is not just victorious. Verse 10. I have been anointed with the finest oil. Now, the psalmist most likely says this because in ancient Israel, anointing someone with oil was a common way to signify that God was setting someone apart for a special task. Did you know that the word Messiah means anointed one? 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21 says, It is God who establishes us with you in Christ, and he has anointed us. So today, Christians are, like the psalmist, set apart by an anointing from God. This is an important thing for you to remember during your praise sessions. 
whether it's Sunday morning during their weekly routine or the spontaneous praise that you give to God. This is what you should thank the Lord for, for setting you apart and dedicating you to himself. Verse 11. My eyes look at my enemies. When evildoers rise against me, my ears hear them. So the psalmist is aware that he has real-life problems. He's not ignorant. He's not naive. He's aware. How does he feel knowing that he has enemies? Verse 12. The righteous thrive like a palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. You remember how the wicked were like grass? Think about how small and how fragile grass is. Now imagine a tree. It's standing. It's strong. It's stable. And in the chaotic world after Israel was deported from Babylon, this was something that the Jews needed. I'm reminded of how Jesus said in Matthew chapter 13 that the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and planted in his field. It's the smallest of all seeds. And when it's grown larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Now, at times, our lives may seem unstable. 2022. But we can remember that we are part of an unshakable kingdom. We're not grass. We can be a tree. Why is our kingdom unshakable? Verse 13. Planted in the house of the Lord, they thrive in the courts of our God. Now, in the ancient times, God dwelt with his people in physical structures, like the temple. These courts were the house of God. And all throughout the Old Testament, man has been trying to get back into the presence of God so that we can truly thrive. It is the glory of God that keeps us spiritually alive. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. And we can only be in God's life-giving presence because of Christ, who has removed the veil from between us. The temple had a large veil that separated sinful humanity from our holy God. But in Matthew chapter 27, verse 51, after Jesus died, behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. So Jesus has made a way for you to be that palm tree. He's made a way for you to be planted in his courts, near to the presence and the glory of God so that you can thrive. This is what we must sing to God about all week long. This is what we must sing to God about on Sunday during our weekly regular time and spontaneously throughout our day. As a result, in verse 14 of Psalm 92, they will still bear fruit in old age, healthy and green. For Israel, God promised to bless them if they would obey him. And he gave them the national blessings that a nation needs. God said, if you fully obey the Lord your God, carefully follow his commandments that I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on earth. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 1. And now that Christ has come, I've got great news for you. Our promises are even better. John chapter 15, verse 5. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, 
happy it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So if you want to be that palm tree, if you want to thrive in old age and be healthy and green, the key is abiding in God. Abiding is a weird word, but the Bible explains it. The Apostle John explains it in 1 John chapter 3, verse 23 through 24. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments, here's the key part, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the Spirit whom he has given us. So, my friends, if you want to know that you're abiding in God, if you're abiding in Christ, believe in him and love others who are believing in him. This is going to result in thriving. Verse 15 says, To declare that the Lord is just, he is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. That is the words of a man who is thriving. When we thrive, we prove that our God is a good Lord. He makes our lives stable, like a rock. And we will suffer, bit by bit. God will change us. He will sanctify us. He will draw us closer to him as time passes. And so, my friends, on this, our day of rest, whenever we begin to sing, we have an opportunity to praise a good God who it is good for us to thank. Because, number one, he is praiseworthy. Number two, he's praiseworthy because he is eternal and lasts forever, and the wicked die quickly. And number three, our Lord is righteous and his people endure. So now, let's rest. And let's give thanks in prayer and in song. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Psalm 92. Thank you for reminding us that rest is important. Thank you for reminding us that when we rest, we should sing and consider your goodness. Thank you for drawing us near to you. Thank you for the opportunity to be in your courts. Thank you for your son, for dying for our sins, rising again from the dead so that by trusting in him, we can thrive. Not like the wicked, who though they are currently succeeding, will pass like grass, leaving us the strong trees to enjoy your goodness for eternity. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.